0: You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit CreeksideCommunity.org. Welcome to Creekside. My name is Dan Goodson. My wife, Deb, and I, we've been coming to Creekside since 2008, actually, 14 years and it's actually a kind of fun story how we ended up coming here. Uh, and then we have three kids, Kate, who is going to be a freshman in high school, Andrew, who's in seventh grade, who I'm just going to point to him because seventh graders love being pointed at by their parents in large public settings. That's what dads get to do, right? Dads get to embarrass their kids, and that's just, that's what you sign up for. It's what you wait for, actually. And then uh, our youngest is in fourth grade. He could care less if I embarrassed him or not. That's a fun age. But um, yeah, so we came up in 2008, and so my wife and I we serve with the Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, known as Crew now, and we have been serving with them ever since we got involved as students at our respective colleges. My wife went to UCLA, and as a freshman, got involved with Crew. Um, God really got a hold of her th- organization, and I was at Miami of Ohio, and uh, which is not in Florida. It's a school. That I went to and uh, went there to play baseball, ended up getting cut and didn't know what to do after I got cut. Um, The Lord actually uh, met me there in a way that I just would not have anticipated and ended up getting involved with the organization and then joined staff with crew and uh, served at the University of Illinois while my wife was at Cal Poly Slow. We met, we were introduced by some mutual friends, and then the question was whether we were going to serve in the Midwest or on the West Coast. We sensed that God was leading us to the West Coast. There were more people and less people that believed in Jesus. And so we moved out to Cal Poly Slow, and then in 2008, we were asked to give leadership to the Ministry of Crew at UC Berkeley. Now, for Berkeley, uh, as a Midwesterner from Ohio growing up, my only impression of it was just from what the news said and from the movie Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, that's where Kevin Costner's uh, character actually went to school. And so that was literally all I had. I was a baseball guy. And so I knew Field of Dreams, and that's I pieced it together. I didn't know much about Berkeley, quite honestly. So we went up to Berkeley, and as we got up there about a week after, I got an email from this pastor of a church in San Leandro. I Had never heard of the church, had never heard of the guy. And it, the, basically, the gist of it was, the email was, hey, we, we really appreciate this ministry. We appreciate you saying yes to coming up here. We want to financially support your ministry, and you never have to come and meet us. We just wanted to say we believe in you. <laughs> what? What? Have you ever done fundraising before? It doesn't fall from the sky like that, ever. And so, you know, my wife and I are just kind of like, well, we got to meet this guy. At least go and get lunch with him. And so... John Bruce invited me to go to Chili's with him at Bayfair. Fancy, fancy line. You know, there's no Chili's in Berkeley. So I was like, all right, that sounds good. And, you know, we, we go and we connect. And, well, I find out that John Bruce had served in the exact same role from 1970 to 1982 at UC Berkeley. And then, actually, one of the perks, and I say perk very facetiously, um, of, giving, of leading in that role is that, Crew owns an apartment complex. It was donated to the ministry in 1966 by a concrete uh, – he was a guy who ran a concrete business. He owned this apartment complex, wanted it to be used uh, by God for the kingdom, and so he donated it to Campus Crusade for Christ. And the people who are in charge of running it and making sure that the property is managed well is the campus director. So John told me all the fun things that he had to do for that, like rekeying the locks and making sure that all the carpets were – I'm just like, I did, What? I Don't want to do any of this. This sounds terrible, and but it's what it, I got myself into. And, and he's sharing me some other stories of just like, oh yeah, if you're gonna live in Berkeley and do ministry for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, get ready, because here. And he just and I walked out of there like, oh my goodness, I, what am I getting into? This is crazy. And so then he also was asking, so how is it going? Finding a church? And we're like, well, you know, we've gone to a couple places. Oh, well, you know, Creekside's right here. We're Like, oh, you know, that'd be great if. You know, if we just didn't have to drive down there and everything, he just looks at me. He's like, "You should come anyway." (laughs) You know, and it's JB. So what do you do? And so it's like, well, honey, we're going to go to. Let's go check out Creekside. You know, that was 14 years ago, and here we are now. And and actually, really interesting. Where were you guys at 32 years ago? Some of you guys weren't born yet. Um, 32 years ago, this August, precisely. That was actually the founding of Creekside. Creekside was actually launched in August of 1990. I just I learned some of this, and it's just this month in particular, August, the start of the school year and everything, this was the, the birthday for the church, which it's, it's just really cool to be a part of that. And as we're talking about a chapter that talks about individual steps of faith, to be in a church that was launched out of a collective step of faith, it's very inspiring. And actually, so we get to, uh, we're going to wrap up a chapter that we've been looking at this summer, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the Hall of Faith. And as a sports guy, this was always one of my favorite chapters because growing up, and I was not always um, paying attention in services when I was growing up, but whenever I'd hear this one, i hear the term Hall of Faith, I would pay attention because it's like, oh, it's like Hall of Fame. I was, it was I was that shallow at times, Uh, and it took that little to hook me, but it does, and so we get to wrap that up, and it's really a a fun and kind of challenging, actually, passage that we're going to look at today, Um, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask that he would lead our time this morning. God, we thank you just for another day. We thank you just for um, your mercies that you promise are new every morning. Lord, we need your grace we need you, uh, need for you to speak through me. We need for you to enlighten our hearts. We are so glad that you've called us to this place this morning and we ask that you would just speak uh, through your word today. Lord, we love you. We thank you just for everything that you've given us. We thank you that we can gather together uh, without fear of persecution. As we see in the passage we'll look at today, that's not true of everybody. Uh, We thank you that we get to experience that, though. And we do lift up our brothers and sisters who do not have that same freedom. Uh, We ask that you would be glorified in their lives, uh, nonetheless, as we trust that you will. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, so we actually are at... The last portion of this series, School of Faith, next week, actually, Pastor Jeff is going to be back from his sabbatical. He's been doing a deep dive into ancient Near Eastern literature and languages. He's going to present in Aramaic his sermon. And so I'm, I'm really excited for that. I think that, you know, that's what sabbaticals are for for pastors, just doing nothing but hard, heavy research on ancient literature. I hope he did none of that, actually. Um, That would not have been a sabbatical, I wouldn't think, but we're going to be wrapping up this series, starting a new series, very exciting, and it's really, I mean, you know, mid-August, I've been on the academic calendar for just my whole life that I can remember, and so this time of year is always actually very exciting. Beginning of school for tomorrow for many people, my kids, that's when they start, and I'm sure teachers are feeling the flutter as well, a lot more responsibility, and and parents are excited, but also, you know, it depends on what grade level they're in. There's certain grade levels where it's I'm excited. You can go now. And there's others where it's like, I can't believe we're already at this point yet, whether it's the beginning or the end. I would imagine that's actually very, like, surreal. Um, I have a freshman who's going to high school, so that's, that's kind of surreal, actually. I can't believe that uh, I have somebody who's already that old living in my house. That is pretty surprising. Anyways, um, we are wrapping up the series, and we're going to start with verse 32 in chapter 11. And what more shall I say? This is just, it's a funny way. So I'm pausing here for a second because imagine the author of Hebrews. He's been writing along. He's he's been weaving this theme of faith. He's been the theme of like, Jesus is better than, Jesus is better than, he's the better messenger. He's the better Moses. He's the better covenant. He's the better sacrifice. And then he's giving all these examples of like all these individuals throughout the Old Testament. And now he's realizing, he's looking at the clock. He's like, oh, I got to hurry up. I don't have enough time. I got to get the messenger sending this to the Hebrews. I got to get this out. And so what more can I say? And I'm just going to start speed reading through all these guys now. I do not have time to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And we'll pause it right there because it actually takes a a dark turn. But before we do, uh, I want to look at, it's interesting, the folks that are brought up here. It's really interesting, in fact. And um, what's interesting about it is what really defines them. Because I think We live in a culture where we're either tempted to define ourselves by either our best or our worst traits, we're tempted to define ourselves by what we do for a living, or what family we're a part of, or what state we're from. There's lots of things that we are tempted to define ourselves by. And when we think of some of these folks that are listed here, actually it's a... It's a question of why some of them are mentioned in the Hall of Faith at all. I mean, for some of them, it's like Barak. I don't know everything about Barak's story. Actually, he was a contemporary of the Judge Deborah in the Book of Judges, and he was a little bit fearful of doing what Deborah asked him to do. Deborah asked him to lead the armies of God ahead of the Canaanites and to fight against them. and He's like, no, I'm not going to go unless you go. And so Deborah said, fine, I'll go, but you will receive none of the glory from the battle. That's, that's sort of the story of Barak. And so it's, it's interesting. And then Barak goes and he leads the battle and, you know, the uh, people of God win. But it's sort of interesting because Barak was actually timid. Gideon, Gideon actually, we know him as a, like he was a judge. In fact, some would say he was one of the more God-fearing judges. The judges were kind of all across the map. But he actually doubted considerably what God asked him to do. God asked him to oppose the Midianites. God shrank his army from 32,000 down to 300. But the entire time, you know, if Thomas hadn't stolen the nickname of doubting, then it would have been Doubting Gideon. Thomas stole it. That was just a Bible joke. I'm sorry. But, you know, like, I, I think we got, I got a list here of the, the, of the guys here. So Gideon's sort of, he's fearful. Barak's timid. Samson, good grief. Have you read Samson's story? Yeah, we know Samson was very strong. You read the stories to Samson to little kids if you're, you're raising your kids and reading them Bible stories. And then you read Samson as a grown-up. You're like, oh, goodness. I can't read about Samson to my kids because it's very indulgent. Or Jephthah. So I will be honest, I did not have Jephthah's story memorized prior to putting this sermon together, but I got a chance to read about Jephthah, and he actually was a, well, his backstory is really interesting, but he was um, brought, God raised him up as a judge to lead a battle against the uh, Amorites, and he gets out there, he's leading the army, he sees the Amorites, and in the... Way that other ancient Near Eastern religions would do, the pagan religions, he would make they would make a vow, basically bargaining with God. If we can win, then I will do this. And so his vow is that if we're able to win, God, I will sacrifice to you whatever comes out of my house first when we come home. Which seems like a dumb dumb vow. And he, he maybe is thinking it was the family dog that was gonna come out and it happened to be his oldest daughter, which would be a bummer for her. But it's just sort of, it, he was rash. Like, just Samuel, Samuel was actually probably the best one on this list, but he he wavered in the sense of like, he knew that God was the king over the people of Israel, and yet the people wanted a king. And so he, he was, and then David, good grief. David had some issues. Actually, one of the most interesting stories of David, it's he decided, because Saul was chasing him, he decided to hide out with the Philistines. And the Philistines knew this as David, and like, David kills Philistines. And so they're like, you sh- who are you, what are you doing here? And so David decides, you know what, I'm just going to grow out my beard and start drooling on it and acting like somebody that drew, and, and they're like, what are you doing? David's thinking that this is going to get me out of this situation, and it's just like, is that walking by faith? What, why are you in the hall of faith for some of the things that you've done here, David? And what's so interesting is that while our culture likes to define people by their traits or by what they do, God defines by faith. Because the reason they're here, it's not because of what they did, it's because who they believed. Because ultimately, Gideon did choose to follow God. Ultimately, Barak did choose to follow God. These people, while they were kind of having some ups and downs, shows. And I think that the reason why this is so reassuring is that it shows that they're ordinary. I think when you read that they're in the Bible, it's like, well, they're in the Bible. Of course, they're, they did the right thing. Actually, when you see their warts and all, you begin to realize, oh, they're human beings. They have their ups and downs. God works through ordinary people to bring across his plan through all time. And I think that's what the author is showing. Here's these people. You know their highs, but you know their lows, and God still used them. Because what defines God's people is their faith. That is what is the primary, most important identity marker. When I got together with John that time at Chili's, uh, he was telling me some of the stories of leading at Berkeley. And one of the stories, which actually really scared me, but uh, it was at the apartment complex that we were talking about. And he said that, you know, one night there was these staff women that lived in one of the apartments. And an intruder broke into their apartment with a knife and threatened them and told them to do some things. And one of the staff women stood up and said, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the guy held the knife. Oh, I didn't know that. And he just leaves. Now, I... And I've only heard this story from John. And so for some reason, every time John tells the story, he laughs at the end of that. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Ha! <laughs> and John, it's just, it's really, it's a great story. But I think what's so incredible about that story is the faith that this woman had in her identity of who she was. And that's this faith defines. It becomes the truest thing of, our, of who we are, our identity, that we are children of God if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the author uses these names as um, names that people would know, names that people would know that they were imperfect. But it's because of who they are now in, in their who they trust in that matters the most. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So, the believer's faith, really, that defines them. Let's look here at a second component, though, as the author continues along. And this is, this is a, a big turn here. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. So, the previous paragraph, it had a bunch of highlights. And now, all of a sudden, it's very different. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. That sawn in two one is really particularly disturbing. That The church traditionally has held that that was the prophet Isaiah or that... um, Being stoned, that was Jeremiah traditionally that that the church has held. That that's what happened to those prophets, actually. See, the author is not keeping his audience from realizing that just by walking by faith doesn't mean that everything is easy. And that's really difficult, I think, for me. Because I feel like if I am going to choose to submit my life to God, I would like for my life to be easy then. If I'm giving this up, God... I would like for something in return, and namely, like, a pretty comfortable, easy life. And there is nowhere in the Bible that it, so, it says that. Now, God has promised good to those who believe in him. In Romans 8, 28, God has promised good, but good, that's in parenthesis. Or not parenthesis, that's in, like, what does what the word good mean? I, I like to think good as in, like, nice, easy, happy. And uh, God thinks good in very different terms. Have you ever prayed for patience, Have you ever prayed for character, just growth and character? Don't, if you don't want to have your life turned upside down. Because the way that you grow in patience is to have to endure things that are really stressful and frustrating. The way that you grow in character, you actually have to have it formed. And oftentimes, that's not through a pleasure cruise. Um, There's this funny commercial that uh, it's an apartments.com commercial where this couple, they're looking at a sonogram and it has a picture of a baby. Actually, it doesn't have a picture of a baby. It has a picture of three babies. And they're looking at it and they're surprised. And then all of a sudden they feel that like the, the walls are coming in and then the ceiling starts lowering. And it's sort of like this Indiana Jones scene. And then the guy from Jurassic Park comes in, tells them all about apartments.com and you could have a bigger place. And, you know, that's the end of the commercial. And clearly it's not a Bay Area commercial. But it's how we feel with circumstances where it just – there are those times where it's just pressure and you're feeling it and you don't really know, like you're praying, but it feels like the prayers are bouncing off those closing in walls. And it doesn't feel like my faith is really getting anywhere because nothing is really changing. And God hasn't promised that things would change just because we have faith. God has promised good and that his message would go forward. And good sometimes comes in strange packages. The things we pray for sometimes He gives us, but in ways that we would not have anticipated. So in 2006, my wife and I, we led a summer mission of crew students over to a closed country in East Asia, where it was illegal to um, openly talk about the gospel and openly, like, share about Jesus. And it was 2006, so the Internet's still kind of new, kind of, and what you knew about who had access to the Internet was really new as well. So we were thinking that, well, certainly nobody in this closed country is able to access Internet stuff on the other side of the world, right? I mean, that's... We laugh at that now, but that's literally what we thought. Like, you know, surely there's firewalls and they can't see it. And we had been telling all of our ministry partners that like, hey, pray for us because we're going to this campus and we're going to be sharing the gospel of Jesus with students who don't know him from this country, which was foolish because uh, when we arrive, we have our, you know, our large group of American students and everything. And we get on this bus and the um, school administrator sits down with me in the front. He's like, I know why you're here. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're excited for the cultural exchange, and we're excited. He's like, no, I, I know why you're here. I saw your website. I'm like, oh. oh And, you know, small talk a little bit, and then I go and, you know, I sit back with my wife, Deb, and I'm just like, they know why we're here. <laughs> Crap. We're in trouble. And I'm not kidding you. I was actually legitimately scared for my life because I had no idea what was going to happen. That night, we both remember laying in bed just thinking they're going to come kick in the door and we're going to get arrested or who knows what. And throw, well, it turns out, and there's a good end to the story, it turns out that that guy had actually been a foreign exchange student at Arkansas, Arkansas Tech years before, and somebody had shared the gospel with him, and he had come to Christ. And then he came back to this country and this particular university, and he had been praying that there would, the Lord would send people to come to his campus to share the gospel on his campus. Why didn't he tell me right then? (laughs) But for five and a half weeks, we walked this walk of like, they're going to kick us out at any, like five and a half of the most tense weeks of like, but believe me, our team was bonded together. We were excited about what God was doing, but we're also really nervous. Like we were growing significantly in our willingness to take steps of faith. If we would have had known the whole time that, like, this guy was a believer, what would we have missed out on? Those things that God gave us that we had been praying for. It was a surprising answer to a prayer with a strange, package on, strange packaging on it. Now, there's a guy named Jeff, 2014, goes to a similar country, leaves a Bible in the bathroom stall of a restaurant because he wanted people to pick up the Bible, read about it, and find the good news of Jesus. Gets caught before he gets to the airport. Arrested, thrown in prison for six months. And he's out now. He's also a guy from Ohio. But it's just, Lord, why? I'm sure he prayed. I'm sure he, had, like, why wasn't there, like, a, an easy, a, a fun silver lining to that story? It's sort of like we've, we see here in Hebrews. Like, the author actually does not explain why certain things happen to some people of faith. And Challenging things happen to other people of faith. We do not actually get to choose the life circumstances that the Lord allows us to experience. We're simply called to walk the path that he's given us as faithfully as we can, and which is why he's given examples. But it's also very encouraging to people who are going through hard times, which is the audience then, and sometimes it's, it's us today. But it's encouraging to hear that there are people who have been given a hard road And they've been able to faithfully walk. And it's also, there's an element of mystery to it. Why does God allow for challenging things to happen to people? Why does he seem to pave the way for others when he doesn't for people that love him as well? And the author gives us no answers. There's no easy response. It's simply, this is the call. And are you going to be faithful to it? is what we are being challenged with. And that is, that is a challenging thing because life is hard if you haven't noticed. And part of it's because we have enemies. And, you know, not to get too, I don't know what even word I would say, but like there are enemies in the Christian life. Part of it's us. We are, sometimes we're our own worst enemy. The Bible says we have three traditional enemies. We have the flesh, the world, and the devil. And, Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. That's not really what the point of this passage is. Sometimes the world system, a uh, collective culture opposed to the will of God. It's not any one individual, but it's just a system of things opposed to the will of God. And we find ourselves oftentimes in that, where it's challenging to be a believer as somebody who follows Jesus faithfully. And there's just a difficult situation. And then there's also the devil. And I actually sometimes feel weird saying that. It feels weird saying, yeah, there is a devil that's out there trying to make things hard. Because we live in a culture that wants to dismiss spiritual conversation. We live in in Western society. Oftentimes, that's just seen as backwards. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is an adversary of the Lord God Almighty. And if you choose to follow him, it means you have an enemy. And the enemy is no weak enemy because Peter describes him like this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And we can have two temptations. There could be, we could think too much of him and say everything is the devil's fault. The microwave is not working right, so it must be the devil assign it well what that does is assigns him too much power actually sometimes just living in a fallen world there's just things that are hard but it's not he's not omnipotent god's omnipotent he's not everywhere he's only certain places he's a created being however to dismiss all entirely the devil would love that because he would love to think that he would love us to think that life is easy and it's you know he's not really there It's true. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 has actually really helped me as well in thinking through this because it gives me empathy. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. This means that there's no enemies other than the enemy. If you've had people that you have had hard interactions with and if they don't know Christ, the reality is this passage says that the God of this age has blinded their spiritual eyes. This means that if you have a, somebody that you disagree with politically or somebody that has just been, really been a challenge for you or a neighbor that is a hard situation but they don't know Christ, their biggest enemy, that, that's your, they're not your biggest enemy. Actually, they are a captive. And the, the reality is, and this is it's a very binary way of viewing the world, but I think that this is a biblical way of viewing the world. There's either captives or there's those that are set free. And there's nobody really in between. And we don't know exactly who those people are, so we're called to walk by faith and love others accordingly. But if somebody doesn't know Jesus, and this is true if if you don't know Jesus, the reality is that you've been blinded by the God of this age. And that the gift of eternal life is something that brings those those um, helps you to be unblinded, brings sight, and he offers that and we're going to get into that in just a second because our faith defines, our faith disturbs, and that's where we have enemies, but then our faith delivers. And I think one of the most amazing things that God has given us is this gift of faith. I want to get to that in a second though. I want to look at this last couple of verses these were all commended for their faith. So those that had positive circumstances, those that had difficult circumstances, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would, be made per- would they be made perfect. So that's pretty remarkable. Here's the, remember, the group of people that the author of Hebrews is writing to is experiencing persecution. They're experiencing hard times. They need encouragement. And so the author is saying, look at all these amazing people. Look at how they walk by faith. And yet God said, you guys did awesome. This is great. I'm waiting for these people. I want to bring them in as well. And by them, that's the audience for the Hebrews, but it's also us. And that's actually incredibly encouraging because it demonstrates how much God loves you because he's waiting for you. He's waiting to wrap up all of eternity because he wants you and he wants an undisclosed amount of other people, but he desires you specifically. I think this is pretty cool, actually. Um, you ever wonder how much you matter to God? This is just a parenthesis, but I just thought this was fun as I was putting, putting this talk together. How much you matter to God. You were created in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 says, you were specifically thought, everything about you is specific, unique, and intentional. You were created in his own image. Think about that. He could have chose any image. He chose to have us be identified with him. That's remarkable. He knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. I, had saved, I wrote that one in particular because I knew John was going to say something about the gray hair, and so I was going to pass that one along back to him. It was better in first service because he was here. But um, he rejoices over you with singing. You literally bring songs to God's heart. And if you kind of breeze over that and don't think about it, stop. Take a second and actually embrace that. You make God sing. That's incredible. He has given his one and only son for you. And then here's, this is just, it's a really interesting thing. In Revelation, and this is really not talked about all that much, but in Revelation, here's this promise. He will give you a new name, which only you and he will know. What does that mean? That sounds cool. I want to know my name. I want to know what that means. There's something there so special and intimate though that he is waiting to bring each and every person that he is going to bring in a relationship. He's waiting for all of us. And that's what he's telling the audience too here. It's like that's, they're waiting for something better. He's waiting for something better. And we will all get to experience that with him, which is just remarkable. And so what is this something better that God has planned? Well, we, we on this side of the cross know what that was. Jesus Christ dying for our sins so that we could have eternal relationship with him, ushering, ushering in the new covenant. Those that were looking forward to what God was going to do, they didn't know that it was going to be fulfilled through Christ. The Hebrew audience who's getting this letter, they're just now piecing it together through the teachings of the New Testament. And we get to look back on it and go, okay, that's what God's plan was. But we still all have to walk by faith. We all have to trust him by faith. And so I want to break the rules here a little bit and just go into chapter 12. Just because where's our our application? Well, the author of Hebrews has got his own application. And so it's really easy. Therefore, oh, yep, we skipped that real quickly. Because that's actually one of the most important things. I want to go back to that. So all those great things that God gave us. The most important thing of all, really, is that he gave us the gift of faith to begin with. So if our faith delivers, it delivers us uh, from our bondage, it delivers us from the state that we were in, where does that faith, that faith actually come from? It doesn't come from us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that gift is perpetually available for those who have ears to hear. And if you've heard of the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've responded to it, then these things are true of you. And if you have not responded to it, the offer is available. And it's always available. And he's as close to you as someone knocking on your door of your heart, asking to be uh, invited in to to for him to join with you. So back on to Hebrews 12, because we've seen everything, all these people, all these stories, all these people, walks of faith. Look at all these awesome examples of living a life that honors God. What do we do about it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured much opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So he's written the application points for us. It's pretty great. It's um, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So there's two separate things there. There's sin, which clearly we need to get rid of our, in our lives, and there's things that make it harder for us to run that race with perseverance. And for some people, it might be different than others. That's just, there's, you know, not everything is a hang-up or a hindrance for some as others. And that's where we're glad for those of us that are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to help us through. What is something that is helpful for me, not helpful for you, keeps me from walking with God? For me, sometimes sports is actually a hindrance. Sports is not a sin. But sometimes being active in a sport can take too many hours of my day, and I'm not investing in my kids, which I've been called to do. Sometimes watching sports, now, sometimes watching sports is actually really good and helps me restore. Recreation, it's good for me, except when I watch uh, Cal football sometimes because it can be just really heartbreaking, and that's not as good. I don't think anybody in here can identify with that, though. So, throw off every uh, thing that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Run with perseverance. This idea that you wouldn't have to say run with perseverance if it was an easy race. You know, if it was just one lap, then just run. Run with perseverance is this idea that get ready because there's going to be some hard times. There's going to be some challenges, which is why he says uh, earlier that therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, it's an encouragement to consider and think about. Additionally, he says, consider him being Jesus when you're tempted to throw in the towel. Finally, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is one of those things that helps to finish the race. Knowing the end, knowing where the finish line is helps you to finish. And fixing your eyes on the one who has gone before, the one who has paved a way for you to have a relationship with God is the way through those challenging hurdles, uh, the circumstances when the walls are closing in on you, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So what does faith look like For you this week? What does walking by faith look like for you this week? As we wrap up this sermon series, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Abel, by faith, Rahab. What does by faith, insert your name, look like for you this week? I know for me, it looks like loving my neighbor well. Now, Emmanuel and Bethany Anawera, they just moved in next door to me. They set an amazing example. If you know them, you, you know that they're amazing neighbors, and they set a really good example. For me, we have one particular neighbor, though, not them, that there was an incident where four or five years ago, uh, it was just a challenge. And so now, it, even interacting with them at all, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to that person. I'm scared. I literally am scared at times. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know how he's going to respond. But what does it look like by faith to choose to interact? We all have somebody like that in our life. My guess is the person that came to mind for you right now might be there because God put him there or her. There might be a reason why God brought that person to mind, how he might want you to interact with somebody. Or maybe it's uh, start of school this week. What does that look like for you to walk by faith as a student or a teacher? That's a challenge, but what does it look like to love others well in your classroom? What does it look like to love colleagues well at work? What does it look like to walk by faith in the different avenues of life that God has placed you particularly? Because he loves you so much and you are so unique, you actually have an avenue to interact with some people that none of the rest of us do. And it's a really special but also a very challenging stewardship that he's given you. It's a trust. And God has given each of us an opportunity to share about him in unique ways and glorify him in unique settings. And it's all by faith. And I think, you know, to stand in a church that was started 32 years ago by some people who stepped out by faith, it's a great way to sort of think about and wrap up this series. We think about You know, in 32 years from now, what sort of things are going to be true of this church because people this week stepped out in faith and trusted God for significant things? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for this time. Thank you for giving us this space um, where we know that not all believers throughout the world can actually come and worship freely, as freely as we do. And while we experience some challenges and um, it's hard at times to live by faith in our culture and context. We know that there are other brothers and sisters out there that it's, it's much more difficult. And Lord, we ask that you would protect them. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk well with you. Lord, we know that you have given us a gift of faith if we have said yes to you. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to trust you as we step out today uh, and that we would um, love our neighbors well, that we would love each other well, and that we would love you with all of our hearts. Amen.